Good worship, guys. Good worship. Um, Steve, could you close the door for me, please? Um, I think uh, I think I have a book in me. Um, it'll be a very simple book about a very simple thing, but it's a very daunting proposition. Um, and that first sentence is quite intimidating. I don't know if you've ever thought about writing a book and what your first sentence might be. It's a, it's, it, it needs to reach out and grab the reader by the throat and yank him in. So he wants to read the second sentence, right? And maybe the third, maybe the fourth, maybe even the last. The best all-time opening sentence I've ever read in any book is Rick Warren's book entitled The Purpose Driven Life. And while... It's not one of my favorite books. This is the best first line of a book I've ever read. The opening sentence is perfect. The subtitle to his book is, What on Earth Am I Here For? And the first sentence of the book perfectly answers that question. Does anybody know what the first sentence is? Some of you may know. I'm sure you... Pardon me? It's all about you. That's, that's close. That's close. The sentence is, it's not about you. It's not about you. The subtitle says, what on earth am I here for? And the opening sentence says, it's not about you. And I love that. Now some would categorically disagree with that statement. Many, many uh, in mankind would, would, uh, would categorically say it is all about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I desire. It's about what I hope for. It's about what I dream. It's about what I crave. And I don't think many, many humans would want to just come out and say that, but it's not really what we say, is it? That is the test. What is the test? It's how we live. Rick Warren could not be more right. It's not about you and it's not about me. And as we've said the last several weeks, it's about someone infinitely more interesting and worthy than you and I. Warren goes on to write, You must begin with God, your Creator. You exist only because God wills that you exist. You were made by God and for God. And until you understand that, your life will never make sense. And then he writes this, You were made for God, not vice versa. And life is about letting God use you for His purposes, not you using Him for your own purposes. And as I send some of you away, <laughs> I want you to understand, it's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. And I don't want you to ever, 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 ever forget that. It's about Jesus Christ. Paul says it so beautifully in Romans 11.36. For from Him and through Him and to Him are what? Everything. From Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, to Jesus Christ are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. As Paul finishes that, that great doctrinal treatise of, of Romans 1-11 through 11, and he bursts out in doxology. And he says, what an awesome God. What an awesome God. It's all about Jesus Christ. And that's, that, that's from everything, from the one cell 
creature living under the rock in the blackest, deepest part of the ocean to the asteroid on the farthest side of the farthest galaxy. Okay? And you fit in there somewhere. Right? It's all for the glory of God. You're here for the glory of God. Your soul, your life, your body, your marriage, your kids, your career, your money, your hobbies, your plans, your dreams, your trials, your pain, your sicknesses, and your death are all meant for the glory of God. It's all for the glory of God. And people say, well, what does it mean to live for the glory of God? I bet some of you could answer that question. You know my shorthand answer. What is my shorthand answer? To make God famous. That's your job description as a Christian. That's what it means to live for the glory of God, to make Jesus famous in your orbit, to make Him a God of repute, a God of renown, a God of celebrity in your orbit, in your family, where you work, in your school, in your neighborhood. That Jesus is made famous. That God and His glory is visible to those in your orbit. Rick Warren is right. Until you understand that life is about Jesus Christ, you will never understand. You will never understand this life. And the very best gift I can give to a man or woman, the very best gift I can give to them, is that they might understand. That they might understand that it's not about them. If I, if I could give you any gift, I, as you leave, leave here, I, I would want to remind you and I'd want to say to you, don't ever forget that it's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that. That's the best advice, the best gift I could give to a man. It's preeminently about Him. It always has been and it always will be. It always will be. And if you get that right, if you get that right, it's like life is just a walk home to God. You understand what I'm saying? If you get that right, it doesn't matter if your life is full of great blessing or full of great trial. It's just a walk home to your Father. If you understand that this is for the glory, you're, you, you are for the glory of God. Now, I, I'm back in John. I promised I was through with John, but I'm back in John. I told you I had a sermon basically complete and God moved me off of it and He moved me back in to John, particularly John 11. I think because I think He wants me to let you leave with this ringing in your ears. It ain't about you in my southern vernacular. It's about Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ gives us like a, it's like a worldview tutorial in John 11. Jesus basically says, this is how my people, my people are supposed to think this is how they're supposed to process life. This is how they're to interpret events. And this is how they are to live. And this is what I want to say to you out of John 11. Turn with me. If, you're, if you don't have a Bible, I think there's some in the back. Uh, John 11. You heard Alex read the text, verses 1 and 2. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. And it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped His feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. 
Now, we talked about Mary last week, and we talked about her extravagant worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that worship of the Lord Jesus Christ, when, when she broke the alabaster vial of, of costly perfume and she anointed Him, that is chronologically after the text we're looking at right now. Okay, that actually happens over in John chapter 12. But she lavishly and extravagantly worshipped her Lord. And as you, you may remember, we talked about the fact that we brought it into, into today's context because that, that perfume was worth a year's wages for common labor. And remember, we said 15,000 euro. We just said 7 euro an hour. I don't know if that's right. And remember, I asked you, have you ever worshipped Christ like that? We saw that beautiful picture of worship by Mary. Look at verse 3. The sisters therefore sent to Him saying, Lord, behold, He whom You love is sick. I think this is a, in my mind, it's a beautiful picture of prayer. It's a beautiful picture of, of mature prayer. You notice that they don't really ask Jesus for anything. They just speak their brother's name in a sense to the Lord. And they say, Lord, behold, He whom You love is sick. They say, here's our need, here's our concern, here's our petition, and they leave it with God. And I love this about, I love this in this text. And I thought, how different from many of our, our prayers. We say, Lord, here's my problem and here's how I want you to fix it. And friends, I want us to be humble in our prayer life and I want us to be cautious about dictating to God. I love what John Piper says about this. He, he shared a story about he and his wife and how they were praying earnestly and fervently for a family matter. It was something close to their hearts. And they, they were praying with tears and, and, and great travail. And God convicted Piper that Piper had crossed over and was no longer truly praying, but was nagging him. And I love this. This has helped me so much. Yes, we're to make our petitions to God. Absolutely, we're to make uh, fervent petitions to God. But when you cross over and you begin to dictate to God, because that's a problem. And John Piper said he got convicted about this and he went to his wife and he said, we've got to just let God have it. We've got to just let God have it. And that's what they did. And that's what Mary and Martha are doing here. They're saying, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. And they just give it to Him. They just give it to Him. They trust Him. Friends, did you know that God can be trusted with your petitions? Do you know He can be trusted? I, I, sometimes I think we, we, we almost pray like we don't think He can be trusted. To do exactly what's right, to do the perfect thing, and to do it at the perfect time. Friends, that's our Father. He will do it perfectly. He is all-wise, all-knowing, all-compassionate. He knows how to answer the prayers of His people. And He says He will. And I love this. They just lift it up to the Lord Jesus. And they say, the one whom you love is sick. It's like they say, God, dispense with this as you will. Do your purpose in our life. And it reminds me of Romans 8.28, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, those, who are, those called according to His purpose. How many times have you heard me say that, Alex? In, I don't know, the last two or three years. Probably at least once a month. Do you believe it? 
Do you believe God can be trusted with your petitions? So Martha and Mary, and they bring this, this concern to the Lord. And, and, I, and I just want to point out one more thing in passing. It, it's, it's not, Lord, the one who loves you. It's, Lord, the one you love. The one you love. Thank God it's not about my love for Him. It's about His love for me, which is everlasting, eternal, and perfect. My love for Him is what? Erratic and unpredictable and imperfect and fallen. And I love this. It is about the love of Jesus Christ. For while we were yet enemies, God came for us. He set His heart upon us and He died for us and redeemed us. Look at verses 4 through 6. But when Jesus heard it, He said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When therefore He heard that He was sick, He stayed there two days longer in the place where He was. And what I want to say to you is, if you think it's all about you, you're not going to understand what's going on. If you think the universe revolves around you, you're not going to understand John chapter 11. Jesus says this sickness is for what? What does He clearly say? It's for the glory of God. And it's for the Son of God, that the Son of God may be glorified in it. Let me ask you this. When someone is sick in your family, someone is seriously sick, or even if you're sick, do you, is it your first thought that this might be for the glory of God? Is that your first thought? Let me ask you this. Is it your second thought? Is it your third thought? Does it ever cross your mind that God may want to glorify Himself in your infirmities? Does that ever cross your mind? Brothers and sisters, this is biblical thinking. And I want to say to you, not many Christians think like that anymore because they're not in the Word anymore. You know, churches anymore, we're too busy entertaining ourselves and doing goofy things instead of being in the Word of God and being changed by it. And understanding who He is and how He does business in the lives of His people. This is the second time we've seen this in the Gospel of John. John chapter 9, verse 3, Jesus said, you know, his, it, the, the disciples came to Him and they said, why was this man born blind? What did Jesus say? You remember? It was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. What I want to say to you is it's not about the blind man. And it's not all about Mary. And it's not all about Martha. And it's not all about Lazarus. And it's not all about you. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ. And it's about what He wants to do in your life. Do you think like this? When the, good, when the blessing comes? When the trial comes? Do you know it's from God? Do you know it's for the glory of God? And let me say this. This is an awesome theology lesson. It's all over John chapter 11. If you don't, Alex, don't ever forget this. Okay? I think you already know. God is pursuing His glory. It's what God does. But God is pursuing the joy of His people. And what I want to say to you is, that's one pursuit. That's one pursuit. And what I want to say to you is, just read the rest of the chapter. Just read the rest of John 11. You're going to see ecstatic joy at the end of the chapter. Jesus says, this is about my glory. But what I want you to understand, when it's about His glory, it's about His people's joy. 
Do you understand this? This is fundamental, foundational, biblical theology. I want you to understand this. I want you to understand it. A.W. Pink says, uh, he was a great preacher, theologian, a century, century or so ago. He says this, it's always helped me. When the trial comes, your gaze must not be fixed upon yourself. If it is, you will be devastated. Is that not true? If we're completely self-absorbed when, when, uh, when the trial comes, are we not devastated? Pink goes on to say, the man, who's, the man of faith's gaze will not be fixed upon himself. It must be fixed upon God and thereby his heart is calm in the midst of the storm. Look at verse 5. Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And look at verse 6. Therefore, He stayed two more days. Okay, I'm going to have to explain something here from the original language. If you have an international standard version or a new international version, uh, the text is wrong. Those English translators, they, they just took a word out of the air and they stuck it in the text. The NIV and the ISV say, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet, yet he stayed two more days. Friends, that's just wrong, okay? It is just wrong. There's an infinite distance between Jesus loved them, so He stayed, and Jesus loved them, yet He stayed. There's an infinite difference there. Because yet He stayed, it sounds like He doesn't care at all. So He stayed, He stayed because He does care. Do you understand the difference? Now every other translation, every other mainline English translation gets this right. In fact, I looked at, uh, I looked at the Greek lexicon and it says, you know, it basically means therefore or so, the word here. It means therefore or so, but the lexicon even used words like accordingly or consequently. Jesus loved them, so accordingly He stayed. Jesus loved them, consequently He stayed. Do you get the drift? I want you to understand this. this is very important. That you understand what the actual text says. He loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, so He stayed two more days. Now let me ask you, how many people in the world, how many unbelievers, how many even those who profess to be Christians would read this text and, and accuse Jesus Christ of being callous? Or unloving? How many times do you hear that out in the world? Well, why does God let that happen? He must be callous and He must be unloving. Well, why does this happen? He must be callous and He must be unloving. And when you read that it's for the glory of God, some people even go, it's unloving. It's, God, it's too God-centered for us. It's not man-centered enough. God must be calloused and, and unloving. And let me tell you, why God is accused of being callous and unloving by, by much of mankind is because mankind's definition of divine love is wrong. Because we think if God loves us, He's going to make my life perfect, right? That, that I am the center of the universe and that my well-being and my comfort and my ease and, and, 
and all that I want is the most important thing in the world. And if we think like that, Jesus' behavior here is unintelligible. Friends, that is a fallen, temporal, finite, man-centered view. That is not the biblical view. We're not to think like that. Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, so He stayed two more days. He did not go to them immediately. He, he did not come to heal Lazarus. He allowed Lazarus to die because He loved them. Because He loved them. Deity says this is love. So how do we understand this? How do we understand that this is love? It's very simple. Now I want you to hear me on this. Divine love gives us that which is absolutely, preeminently, supremely, and ultimately most precious. What does God give His people? What's the best thing God gives His people? Himself. Himself. God told Abraham, I am your the best gift that God gives to His people is, is Himself. And Jesus Christ is going to give Himself to Martha and Mary. And, and yes, even that dead corpse laying in a tomb, He's going to call Him out. And Jesus is going to give Himself to these people in a way they have never contemplated. And let me tell you something else. They're going to love it. And what I want to say to you, whether you're going through blessing or trial, I want you to expect to see the glory of God and I want you to expect to love it. Amen? Anybody? Amen? Amen? I want you to expect to see the glory of God and I want you to expect to love it. And I want you to expect to taste the awe of God and what He's doing in your life. Jesus loved Martha and Mary so He stayed two more days. He tarried. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we will not understand what God is doing in our life. Sometimes it seems like He's not listening. Sometimes it seems like He's not there. Trust me, He is. He loves you. How much does He love you? He went to the cross. He hears every prayer. He hears every prayer. What you and I have to do is trust Him and expect to see His glory and expect to love every minute of what He is doing as He comes to us and reveals Himself to us. Someone said that men, I think it was Thoreau, someone said that, that, that men live lives of quiet desperation. I want to submit to you, how could we not? If we think we're the middle of the universe, how boring is that? How boring is that? If, if, if I'm the center of the universe, man, I'm to the end of myself already and I'm done. I'm bored. And this is why men and women do all kinds of stupid things to anesthetize themselves with sin. Well, I'll just have an affair. I'll do some drugs. I'll try to get more power at work. I'll crush somebody. I'll crush a colleague at work to try to get more power. I'll hoard up more money. Something, anything to give me a buzz Friends, how boring would it be? How depressing would it be if we were the center, but we're not the center? We're not the center. The good news is, we're not the center. The Bible teaches that we were created for the glory of God, but what does Paul say so eloquently in Romans 1? We've exchanged the glory of God for what? Lesser things. And, and he also says in Romans chapter 3 that we were made for the glory of God, but we've fallen short of 
the glory of God. And Christ has come to bring His people back to Himself that they may enjoy and taste the glory of God. Finish John chapter 11. So Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, so He stayed two more days. Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And He's going to glorify His Father. And He's going to do infinitely more than just cure Lazarus. He's going to bring him out of the tomb. And God is going to disclose Himself more fully. And what I want to say to you is, they're going to love it. And I want you to love it. I want you to expect to love it. On your hardest day when you can cry no more, I want you to believe Romans 8.28, that God's doing a good thing. God is doing a good thing. God is going to cause all this to work for your good. God is doing a good thing. It's one of the compelling lessons of the book of Job. Job suffered an unimaginable loss and pain. But what does Job get at the end of the book? He gets a revelation of God. God comes to him up close and personal. And Job says this, Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. I have heard of God by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee. Friends, I want you to understand that divine love gives us that which is best, and that's Himself. You know, I heard somebody say one time that, that God brings trials into our lives to break us from our adulteries and our addictions. Friends, if you've got an adultery, if, if, you, if, if you have an idol, we say it that way, if you're spiritually adulterous and you belong to Him, He's going he's to get you off that. He's going to get you off that. You can count on it. And if you're amused with something other, you know, that's preeminent over and above the Lord Jesus Christ, God loves His people and He won't let them waste their time. He won't let them waste their time. I love what George Mueller said. Don't pray for the deliverance until you get the revelation. Right? Don't be praying for the deliverance until you get the revelation. So divine love gives us that which is best. That is God. That is God. Jesus says, My love is exhibited in my delay. Love caused my delay. The world would say He's callous. And He's uncaring. And He's unloving. I hear it all the time. I bet you do too. And I grow weary of it. I grow weary of it. God is giving Himself. And there's a huge lesson here. For us as believers, as I said, we don't always understand His timing. We don't always understand exactly what He's doing. But we can trust the Lord. So Rick Warren is right. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about Jesus Christ. So what on earth am I here for? As I send you out, some of you, for the last time, don't you ever forget. Don't you ever forget. You're here for the glory of Jesus Christ. Preeminently, you are here for the glory of Jesus Christ. So the purpose that you have is to live for the glory of Jesus Christ. What does that look like? It looks like you making Him famous in your orbit, in every orbit that you have. In your soul, in your life, your body, your marriage, your kids, your career, your money, your hobbies, your plans, 
your dreams, your trials, your pain, your sicknesses, and your death. God has called you, His son or His daughter, to glorify Him in all those things. And that's my challenge to you. Some of you, as I, as I send you out for the last time, don't ever forget you're here to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, it is all about Your glory. Forgive us that we make it about so many other things. Father, forgive us that, that we become enamored and amused with the things of the world. Father, forgive us that we give our affections, too much of our affections, Father, to, to the things of the world. Father, You are worthy of all our affection. Father, You are worthy of all our love. You are worthy of all our devotion. You are worthy of all our adoration. Oh, Father, give us a heart. Give us a heart like the psalmist's. Oh, Lord, my soul hungers and thirsts for Thee. My flesh yearns for Thee. Oh, Lord, help us to break these addictions and adulteries in our life that we could be focused solely and completely and preeminently on You. Oh God, that we would think biblically. That we would not be silly Christians, but that we'd be grounded Christians. And that we would see that our God is sovereign and that He's doing a good thing. Even if I can't understand it, my Lord Jesus is doing a good thing. My Lord Jesus is doing a good thing. He loves me. This is why He tarries. This is why I don't, I don't hear from Him. He loves me. Oh God, help us to trust You like that. Help, help us to trust You like that. Thank You, Lord Jesus, that You love us. That You love us like that. Oh God, help us to, help us to get this and understand this and live this and love this. Oh God, whatever You bring in our lives, may we anticipate your glory and may we anticipate the joy that comes with it we pray all of this in the beautiful name of jesus christ amen we're going to take communion um, we have open communion here so all who have followed or who have confessed the lord jesus christ as Lord and Savior and have followed Him in baptism, you are welcome to partake of communion with us. The way we do it is uh, we'll play a song. It's about four or five minutes. Prepare your hearts to uh, partake and uh, come to the front during the song. Partake of the elements. Uh, just take the elements. Go back to your seat. And when the song ends, I'll stand and I'll read a verse or two and then we will actually partake at that time. Everybody understand? Okay.